Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Evan Van Busicum, and today on the program, we're going to be talking to Dr. Jennifer Malkus from Sunation Egg Center in Freeman. I'm so glad you could come today, Jen, and take some time out of your busy day to talk to us about mastitis. Thank you. Mastitis is a issue that we see in both dairy and beef cattle, and it's pretty awful to get for the cow. It's pretty detrimental. Could you explain for our listeners, not all of whom are egg-based, what mastitis is? Sure. So at its basic core, mastitis is an inflammation of the mammary gland caused by trauma or infection, and it usually leads to abnormal milk and decreased production of milk. Usually the most common forms of mastitis are caused by bacteria, and some bacteria that cause mastitis include Staphylococcus aureus, Streptococcus, Mycoplasma species, and E. coli. And then there are also many other environmental pathogens that cause disease less frequently. And then as far as the trauma route goes, anything that could traumatize the teat or the udder could lead to inflammation that could be defined as mastitis. So what are some symptoms of mastitis that producers can look for in both beef and dairy? So in both animals, you can find redness or heat of the udder, flaky or clotted milk, color change of the milk. And so this color change could be anything from a slight yellowing to a red tinge to just anything that's kind of out of the abnormal standard white milk. And then also systemic changes can occur. So basically the cows are infected in the udder, but it can go to the rest of their body, including fever, going off of feed, and can even lead to shock and death in some very severe cases. There's different classes of mastitis, right? There's like stuff you notice and stuff that you don't notice. So can you run us through some of that a little bit? Sure. So the gen- in general, it's divided into three uh, forms, subclinical, clinical, and chronic. So subclinical mastitis could also be termed asymptomatic as there are no visual changes to the milk or the udder and usually is only diagnosed by looking at a cow's somatic cell count or by performing what's called a California mastitis test. Okay. So, so most dairies are on a testing regimen where they would get uh, information about the cow's milk either on a daily basis or a monthly basis of how many somatic cells are in her milk. And somatic cells can be normal, but when they get elevated above, usually we rate it at about 200,000 cells per milliliter. That indicates a higher likelihood of infection in the udder. And I know that some of these cells, I mean, you can have like 3 million cells per milliliter and still have no abnormal milk. Right. No, no outward signs of mastitis. So that's kind of why it's pretty important to, if you're a dairy, to have these regular tests so that you can keep an eye on the level of mastitis in your herd. Because like you said, there could be no visual changes. It's just all at the subclinical level. And then for some of our beef producer might not have the ability to get a somatic cell count for his cow. So what we also have is a cow side test called a California mastitis test where a reagent is mixed with the cow's milk and it produces a clotting-like reaction in cases where a high somatic cell count is present. So that's a good option for our beef producers. Then our clinical mastitis is defined where there are visible changes to the milk and or udder, and it can be with or without systemic involvement. 
So clinical mastitis is usually easily diagnosed by the producer or farm workers upon observation of a cow's udder or a few squirts of milk. And it's easiest to see changes in the milk on a dark surface, such as a black paddle or a rubber glove. And then we'll move on to chronic mastitis. And chronic mastitis starts either as clinical or subclinical mastitis. And it's classified as chronic if it does not resolve within two months. So usually this is, again, most easily seen on the dairy farm that has that routine testing because it shows there are two test days in a row with high somatic cell count. And chronic infections can even last an entire lactation or the life of the cow. So it could be a smart idea to call the chronic cows as they consistently contribute to an increase in bulk tank somatic cell count. And on a beef operation, these chronic cows might not be able to support their calf and might have premature dry off of one or multiple teats. Yeah, that definitely is something to be concerned about because beef cattle aren't built necessarily for high milk production. They're built to have enough milk to feed their calf as far as a amount, but then also not too much to hamper rebreeding. If she loses a quarter or God forbid two quarters, we might be in a dire strait for that calf. That's very true. And it's something that a lot of beef producers might not be immediately aware of, of how important it is for her to have a solid udder. What are some good ways to treat mastitis? And can you also talk to our listeners a little bit about the differences between treatment, like if they have Klebsiella mastitis or mycoplasma species mastitis, what are the differences in, in treatment options? So the first step in treating is actually determining what bacterial agent is causing the infection. Like you had just mentioned two of the options, Klebsiella and mycoplasma. So to get to that point, a small milk sample could be submitted to a lab or directly to your veterinarian, and they put that sample on an auger plate to see what bacteria grows. And then once the bacteria type is determined, then the best treatment decision can be made. And the most common treatment is an intermammary antibiotic. So there are a variety of different intermammary antibiotics, such as ceftiafur, sephrin, perlomycin, or amoxicillin. And working with your veterinarian, going off of each uh, bacterial type can help you and them determine on what the appropriate antibiotic is. So in the case that you mentioned of mycoplasma and Klebsiella, those two aren't usually treated with antibiotics because they're usually pretty severe infections and a lot of times lead to the cows needing to be called. But other instances such as uh, streptococcus species, those usually are pretty easily treated by intermammary antibiotics. And so those can be cleared out pretty easily and leads you to keeping the cow and giving her more time to produce more milk. And some of these cases can become pretty severe, such as with E. coli and Klebsiella and uh, Staphylococcus aureus. And when they become severe, you might need to do some more supportive therapy like an anti-inflammatory or IV fluids or an oral drench, just things to support a cow's overall well-being. Once you have it, it's, it's not like it's too late to save the animal or save the quarter, but ideally we want our producers to not have to deal with mastitis. So what are some good ways to avoid or prevent mastitis? So some good ways to avoid mastitis on a dairy farm is mostly centered around the preparation in the milking parlor. So you need good udder handling during milking and using clean gloves and clean towels when prepping the 
cow helps limit the spread of mastitis causing bacteria. Also, it's important to not have lots of water in the milking parlor. So we don't want to be spraying off the cow's udder. Usually they just have a little bit of dirt that can easily be removed by the towel. And then your pre and post dip that you're using should have good bactericidal properties that help kill anything that's living on the surface of the udder. And then if possible, cows that are known to have mastitis should be separated from those that don't and should be milked at the end of a shift or even in a separate parlor if the farm has the ability That way, milking units can be thoroughly cleaned in between those infected and non-infected cows. And that way, they can be cleaned in between infected and non-infected cows. T-end health is also important in preventing mastitis. So milking units need to be attached at the correct time after stimulation and promptly removed when the cow is done milking. Routine evaluation of milking equipment for appropriate vacuum levels can also maintain, help maintain teat and health. And a lot of veterinarians nowadays are able to do some tests about, uh, for the vacuum levels or your service provider for your milking units should be able to diagnose any vacuum level issues. A lot of those things are just kind of seems like common sense, but some people don't really think about them. Like teat end health is so important because it's easier cleaning for those teats. You know, if they're rough teat ends, it's hard to get them sanitary before milking. And uh, those vacuums can really wreck your teat ends. And that's a great point to bring up that not only can your vet usually figure out the vacuum levels and help you monitor those on a routine milking routine inspection or you know evaluation audit i guess it'd be the best way to put yes. it but also a lot of times your milking equipment suppliers will do those vacuum checks periodically uh, just for routine maintenance and also for usually for free you're buying right. your equipment through them. You're sourcing all your stuff through them. A lot of times they'll they'll provide that as a, as a working service. So something to definitely keep and take advantage of. And then also important for both beef cows and dairy cows is cleanliness of pens. So in a dairy setting, bedding needs to be dry. Alleyways need to be regularly scraped. And it's also a good idea to use an inorganic bedding such as sand because that supports less bacterial growth than organic bedding like sawdust or dry manure solids. Now, in beef operations, a lot of these cows are out on pasture, so it's much more challenging to maintain cleanliness, but it's still important, especially when they come in to a smaller space like a calving pen. You need to be able to clean that regularly, put down nice fresh bedding that lessens that pathogen load ex- that the cow's exposed to. Because in beef animals, a lot of the mastitis starts when that cow uh, calves in. So one thing I was just thinking about and I wanted to talk about for our listeners is way back in the day, it feels like now when I was still milking cows, I would treat some of the subclinical cases of mastitis. Mm-hmm. Is that something that that's still recommended and still done today? It can be done occasionally. I think that it's if you're planning to treat a subclinical case of mastitis, I think it would be wise to take a milk sample, have your veterinarian or a lab actually diagnose the bacteria. Because if you're blanket treating all of these subclinical cases and never really getting to the root of the cause and what the issue is, then you're lessening the effectiveness of the antibiotics going forward. That's a good point. Thank you for bringing that up. 
with dairy cattle that are being treated for mastitis, that treated milk is sometimes being sent and used for calf feeding after pasteurization. Is there any concern about doing that with pasteurization or without? So I would highly recommend pasteurizing any milk waste milk that's going to feed calves that is coming from an infected source because that bacteria can cause issues for the calf down the road if they were to drink that without being pasteurized. And also there is some school of thought that says a cow that's been treated with an antibiotic might not be great to give to a calf because it could mess with their gut bacteria. What are some other things that are mastitis related that you feel our listeners should learn about and or know? And are there any other resources that you'd recommend folks to read up on? So I definitely think that it's super important to talk to your vet early on. If you think you're having a mastitis issue, call your vet because early interventions allows for a more successful treatment and less production loss overall. And also bear in mind that some cases just don't have a favorable outcome, whether that be dairy cows or beef cows. So you should really work with your veterinarian to make a protocol for calling cows that have repeat infections or chronically high somatic cell counts. And remember, as we talked earlier with our beef cows, we know that that cow needs a solid udder to be able to support her calf. So making that calling decision early on in the process can save you a lot of headache down the road when she's, you know, three or four years along and she has this destroyed udder that really can't support a calf anymore. And then you have a small sickly calf a poor doing cow and loss of money all over the place. What would you recommend as a threshold for, Hey, I have a mastitis problem. I mean, when I go into Turkey medicine, I tell people that this is the amount of loss per day or per week or per cycle that you should expect to have from Mm -hmm. normal mortality. What are we looking for as far as attrition for an air quote, normal mastitis? I mean, ideally we have none, right? Right. What threshold is it from a, would you say from a problem to a bad issue? So for our dairy cows, I like to tell people that we should shoot for less than 5% clinical monthly. So once you're actually seeing that changes to the milk and as a general rule, we would like our uh, overall somatic cell count for a conglomerate of all the cows to be under 200,000. So in There's some rewards from the milk buyers that come back to the dairy producers who have those lower than that benchmark 200,000. And that comes in increased premiums and better quality milk. So for our beef guys, I would think that 5% is probably a little on the high end for them. I would be thinking if I had, you know, two or 3% come up, I would be putting in a call to the veterinarian and talking to them about, okay, we're starting to see an issue. Let's get ahead of this. So we don't have a major issue later on. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for your time today and sharing your knowledge of mastitis and utter health with us, both for beef and for dairy. You're very welcome. I've had a great time talking about it. This is definitely a passion of mine and one I really feel strongly that people should do a good job getting ahead of and staying on top of. And for our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And if you didn't find us entertaining, hopefully you at least found us useful.